Well, peace be with you. Uh, it was a joy to be with you and to uh, be in, in this place. Uh, this past week, we had the uh, joy, uh, myself, along with uh, 90 other people, uh, 44 or so uh, from from Sojourn, 44 volunteers, 47 adults, 43 missionary kids, uh, 90 missionaries total, uh, to go to Greece together uh, for a time of encouraging our sent ones, our missionaries. We have people, as you heard earlier, serving all over the world. Um, Some, half of them, are in places where naming the name of Jesus, singing publicly, gathering publicly on a Sunday, um, could could mean uh, some, some severe treatment. And so we got to bring these families together, and every day for a week, we preached to them, um, we sung to them, we had a, a worship service like we would on Sunday. We were able to provide care for them um, each, each day in counseling. Uh, we were able to give medical advice and, and consultations. We even had a, a small procedure done on someone uh, while we were away. Um, And it was just a great time. We gave them coffee. We gave them over 100 gifts that were given by all four of our congregations um, um, to them. And so it was a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to come to Greece, all meet them, with them and their kids, and just to love on them. And God worked in their lives in in an amazing way. And God worked in the volunteers' lives in an amazing way. The Holy Spirit showed up in, in powerful ways. In fact, our missions pastor, Pastor Nathan, said that this may have been the most important thing that Sojourn has ever done as it relates to missions. As many of our missionaries were just discouraged, were facing persecution, were struggling to learn new languages, they felt felt broken and, and weak. And having Sojourn come to them and preach the gospel to them, sing the gospel over with them, give them gifts, it revived them and refreshed them in in very real ways. In fact, here's a quote from one of our missionaries that I think sums up a lot of what our our missionaries had to say. This week, I got about about 10 or so uh, correspondence in various ways from people that we served last week. And here's one quote. Coming into the Sojourn International Retreat, we were feeling weary and lacking in hope. And throughout the week, we were served by friends, encouraged by co-laborers, and reminded by pastors from Romans 8 that we are no longer condemned, but have been set free in Christ Jesus. That was exactly what we needed to hear as we look look at our city where millions of people do stand condemned, yet yet are reluctant to listen to the hope we have. We want to persevere in bringing them the gospel so that they can rejoice with us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Thank you, Sojourn, for your investment in us and in the nations. And we've got some pictures to kind of show that. And I just want to say thank you, Sojourn, for your investment. Um, for many of you gave and sacrificed and gave gifts to our missionaries and participated in various ways. But I also want to thank you for your faithful gifts and giving week in and week out. I've been on, by God's grace, a, a lot of mission trips. Um, generally like to go to at least one or two short-term trips um, a year. And this was one of the most impactful uh, times away that I've, I've had. 
uh, talking to our sent ones, some who have been away for over a decade, spending time to them, having them encourage each other, having the spirit present along with other pastors and members of this church, seeing the gifts of the body come together. And we just want to say thank you. We also want to remember the, the great responsibility that the Lord has given us as a church to continue to strive to be healthy, to continue to strive to be gospel-centered, to continue to, to strive to hold the rope for those who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and to continue to remember them in our prayers. Amen? Amen. Well, pray with me. Lord, as we dive into your word, I pray that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I pray, Father God, that your good news, your gospel, Father God, would wake us up anew and that you would be honored in all that I say or do. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, speaking of of Greece, uh, the letter that we are kind of finding ourselves in and settling in, the book of Romans, was actually uh, written from Greece. Paul wrote the book of Romans probably from, uh, from Greece in AD uh, 57 uh, to encourage the church. The poet Langston Hughes once wrote, it's a long ways from where you live to where I live, but there's a direct line from your heart to mine. And that was Paul's sentiment as he was writing to the church at Rome. He was saying, listen, there's a long way from where I am and from where you are, but you all have a direct uh, uh, a line to my heart. I love you. And in verse 12, he shows why. He says, because of mutual encouragement. He writes, I may be mutually encouraged by, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage them. He is longing to be with them so that there will be a sense of mutual encouragement. Now, as we talk about the book of Romans, the text that we read today is really Paul's thesis for the book of Romans. Um, You know, I love to argue that the rest of the book of Romans is him actually unpacking in a very beautiful and yet complex way, this verse. In verse 16, we see that Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is what Paul is grounding the church of Rome in, and he wants to unpack this good news to them so that they would be encouraged. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about this doctrine of sola fide or faith alone. The doctrine of sola fide or faith alone. And essentially, we're looking at how salvation is not based on human effort or good deeds, but belief and, and faith. Now, remember, the solas are important building blocks to the faith. They are five Latin phrases that were popularized during the time of the Protestant Reformation that emphasized the distinctions between the early reformers and the Roman Catholic Church. And so the word sola simply means alone. It's the Latin word for alone. So we're looking at how salvation is by faith alone. The man who led the Reformation is a man named Martin Luther. And he was deeply impacted by the verses that we are about to unpack. Martin Luther was an incredible man. He has a great story. But like all human beings, he was also flawed. Um, he, he also uh, was, a, was a sinner. And so what we learn about Luther and about his life is the, the importance of the gospel and the importance of holding on to the, to the gospel. Uh, Luther was a monk. He became a monk after an incredible storm hit in which 
uh, uh, lightning, uh, 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 I believe, hit him or came near to hitting him. It, it scared him so much that he devoted his life to the Lord. He became a monk, and he was a great monk. Um, he held to the scriptures he, uh, uh, that he, in the way that he knew it. He held to the law, and he tried to keep the law. In fact, he had such a fear of God that when he was serving uh, communion, he would often tremble. Uh, because he believed that the communion was the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And he would shake during communion because he wanted to please God so much. But Martin Luther also found himself angry at God. In fact, in some of his writings, he says that he, he actually hated God. He hated God because he did not understand how, um, how to please him. He read Romans 1, 16 and 1, 17. He says, this righteousness of God is condemning me. The righteousness of God is standing over me. It is pressure on me no matter how right I am, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I fast, no matter how much I try to do what's right, I am constantly sinning. And the question that, that Luther and others um, under this weight and believing that God's justice is, is on you and that it's impossible to please him is, is you begin to feel like God is constantly and always angry with you. And that's what was happening here. God, uh, Luther believed that God was constantly angry with him, no matter how hard he worked, no matter what he did, and the gospel was not good news to him. But God in his providence, providence allowed Luther to uh, be asked to, to, to do a lecture on the book of Romans. And he did a lecture on the book of Romans, and after pouring over and over through Romans, uh, one day the Spirit allowed this truth to come to light. He read Romans 1.16 and 17, and his life was forever changed. And this is what he had to say. He said, I felt that I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened. The whole of Scripture gained a new meaning. And from that point on, the phrase, the justice of God, no longer filled me with hatred, but rather became unspeakably sweet by virtue of a great love. So this doctrine of faith alone, this, this scripture that we're going to look at today, uh, allowed Martin Luther to come to a place where he felt like he was walking through the gates of heaven because he had a new understanding about God. And the Lord used this. God is the God of history. He's not just the God of the history that we read in the Bible, but all of history belongs to him. History is his story. And the Protestant Reformation, in which we're celebrating 500 years just this past week, was brought about because a man came to understand the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important, Christians, that we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know what the Bible has to say about God, about man, about sin, about Jesus, and about how the world will be restored. And that's why we're going through through this series. So I've got a pop quiz for you in your bulletin. I want you to pull out your bulletin. There's a pop quiz. I don't want you to be nervous. No one's going to look at your quiz. If you miss them all, you don't stand condemned. But the reason I want to give you this pop quiz is for you to, to see where you are in understanding this beautiful, big teaching of the Bible called justification by faith or righteousness by faith, solified. And hopefully in seeing this, in, in our second point for today's message, I'm going to kind of come back to it and give you the answers. And hopefully these truths, if they are new to you, will be like um, heaven's gates opening up to you. And if they're old to you, that you will be reminded by, by the great benefits 
of how God saves. So in your bulletin, there are uh, some questions. Question one, you just circle one of them. One of them is true. One of them is not. Justification is a single act of God for us. Or B, justification is an ongoing work of God in us. Just circle it as, as quick as you can. Which one do you think is true? Number two, justification means to make right or justification means to declare righteous. Which is true. Three, faith plus works equals salvation or B, faith in Christ alone equals salvation which is true. Is it faith plus works or is it faith in Christ alone? Three, a imputation, crediting, means not counting us guilty for our sin and counting us as righteous as Christ or imputation, which we'll explain a little later, means only not counting us as guilty, which is true. No cheating. Stop looking around. I'm just joking. <laughs> Number five, the nature of faith is to receive Christ or the nature of love is to receive Christ, which is true. The nature of faith to receive Christ or is it the nature of love to receive Christ? Which saves us, our our, our love, this love or or this faith? Six, uh, faith alone justifies by uniting us to Christ or faith alone with baptism justifies us by uniting us to Christ. Seven, justification frees us from all responsibility to obey the law of God, of God, or justification is a declaration that we are righteous and a pardon for our sins, which sets us free to obey God's law by faith. Now, some of these terms, as I just said, may seem a little alienating. You say, I don't know what any of these words mean. That's okay. That's what we're gonna try to explain. And the reason we're, we're taking this approach, or I'm taking this approach today, is because it is important as Christians that you know what it means. But even if you're not a Christian, if you uh, don't know anything about Christianity, hopefully in hearing this doctrine or this teaching that the church has held on to uh, since the, the days of Christ and, and since the days of the apostles, that you will have a better understanding of Christianity. So there's three things we want to look at today as we talk about solified or sola faith. The first is the object of faith. The object of faith. What is the object of faith? Well, let's look at verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then then to the Gentile. So Paul lets the church of Rome know that he's not ashamed of something. And that's a big thing, to not be ashamed of something. Paul is using language that would have caught their attention as they are in a honor-shame culture. He says, there's something that I'm not ashamed of, and it is the gospel. And what is this gospel? Paul unpacks this in verse 2. The gospel is, has been promised beforehand through his prophets and the scriptures. So this gospel is something that is promised. It's been promised before through prophets, it's been promised before the scriptures, and it is regarding his son, that is God's son. And what about God's son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David? So he's this promised one from the lineage of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. 
And we know that this doctrine or the teaching about Jesus is that he is sinless. He was perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. And it was through the power of God that he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this gospel is a a message of good news that God promised beforehand in which all the promises of God collide or find themselves in. And what is this gospel? This gospel is a message about Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. And back in in Roman times, an emperor, if they uh, went to war and won, they would send a herald back into Rome and all through Roman province to let them know that victory had been won. They would have went around town to town, village to village. Victory has been won. There's There's good news for you. Victory has been won. This message, this gospel is good news that victory has been won and has been won through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of that. And Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. And this message, it was controversial. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 uh, says that it, it, was, it was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because they were expecting the Messiah, the one who was coming uh, to come with political power and to, uh, to form Israel as, as, as God's people and to, to overcome Rome. But Jesus did not come with political power. He came to set captives free spiritually. So this was a stumbling block. But it also, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 123, that it was foolishness to the Greeks. This message of the cross, this message of the gospel, it was foolish to them. Because this message says that salvation rests in one person, Jesus Christ, and they were polytheistic. They said, no, we have many gods, 600 gods. We are not polytheistic. And this God of yours becoming man and becoming weak, we don't even have a way to comprehend that. That is silly. That is foolishness. And Paul says, you know what? It may be foolish to you, but I'm not ashamed of it. For this message is the very power of God. This message is what brings salvation to people. So this is important for us to know that Jesus is the object of our faith. And our faith isn't in faith itself. Our faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. A couple months ago, I had the joy of going to an event here in Louisville uh, in which a lot of Louisville leaders and, and uh, uh, government workers were. Uh, they were cutting ground on a site. And uh, I was asked to come and to pray. And so when I showed up, I learned that I would be praying with other religious leaders on program. And it was an interesting picture. I was just sitting there. I'm like, man, if someone took a picture of this and showed this at Soldier, and people would say, Pastor Jamal, where in the world were you? Uh, right beside me, I had uh, Miss Kentucky, who was a, a joy and a delight to, to get to know. Uh, to my right, no, no, seriously, she was really nice. Uh, to my right, there was a, a pastor uh, that was universe, uh, universalist. Uh, to his right, there was a Muslim, uh, 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 imam. Uh, behind me, there were Buddhist monks uh, dressed in, in their traditional garb. And so this picture would have made an interesting picture. And each person get, had to get up and say some words and to pray. And, uh, and I got up and I just prayed Jesus and, uh, and talked to, to Jesus. But just before we got up to pray, 
uh, this lady who was really sweet, really kind, said, hey, I invited everyone out here, all these religious leaders from, from uh, Louisville, uh, because they are people of faith. And she said, I just figured if I got all of our religious leaders together to pray, that some type of juju would happen and that this project would be a success. And so that's a lot of times what people believe, what people in the world believe, as long as you have faith in someone. It doesn't matter who, but as long as you have faith, as long as you have hope, as long as you have belief in a higher power, then you're okay. At the end of the day, this this God or these gods will accept you and you'll be made right. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our faith is in a very particular person and that person is Jesus. And that's what Paul is teaching here, that this good news is only found in him. So let's talk about the outrageous benefits of faith, the outrageous benefits of faith. We know the object of our faith is is Jesus, and salvation comes to both Jew and Gentile through him, right? Um, But let's look at the, the, the benefits of having faith and believing this doctrine of faith alone. We read in verse 17, for in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed. And this is what hung Luther up. When Luther was reading this, he was reading, for in the good news, the righteousness of God, the justice of God is revealed. So he was thinking God is a just God and that the gospel is all about how just he is. And if God is just and I'm a sinner, then I'm constantly under his wrath. And that means that God is never happy with me. He's always angry with me. And this tortured him. This tortured him. He said that he got to a place, even as a monk, where he hated God. But as he read over the scriptures more and more, the Lord brought revelation to him on this scripture. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, a righteous will live by faith. And I love the New Living Translation version and how it reads. It says this, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. That's the righteousness of God. It's, it's about how God makes us right in his sight. The righteousness of God is what God gives us, what he puts on us, what he <laughs> shares with us through our faith. This is accomplished, NLC says, from start to finish, by faith, that we receive Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness by faith. And all of our salvation from start to finish is by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And Luther read this and he understood the gospel. He understood the gospel that it is good news. And we need to understand this gospel, this good news. We need to herald it, victory, victory. That my salvation is not based upon what I do or my good works. It is based on faith and faith alone. That's how I'm saved. It means that God in Christ Jesus, by grace through faith, God, he only has smiles for that he's not in heaven angry at me, looking to condemn me. There is no condemnation, Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, past, present, or future sins. Now, habitual sins and and habitually walking in a, a way that is not healthy or helpful, it does bring consequences. God calls us to obey, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But to be saved comes through 
through faith and faith alone. So let's look at seven truths about justification by faith based upon your quiz. I'm just going to kind of give you the right answer. Seven truths about justification by faith. The first is justification is a single act of God for us. When we talk about justification by faith, that is a legal term saying that we are justified by God, that is a single act that happens once we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a one-time thing. It's not an ongoing work of God in us. That's called sanctification. Sanctification is God's ongoing process of working in us to make us look more and more like Jesus. Second, justification does not mean to make righteous. It means to be declared as righteous. God declares us as righteous legally and positionally. He says, you are right. We're cool. There's no beef between me and you. Three, faith is in Christ alone. And that's what equals salvation. It's not faith plus works that equals salvation. It's not faith plus doing this that equals salvation. Four, an imputation, putting on a crediting, that's what it means, imputation, crediting, means not counting us guilty for our sin and counting us as righteous as Christ. That's the right answer. That God credits us with Christ's righteousness. It means that we are no longer guilty for our sin. We are forgiven. But listen, this is called double imputation, a double crediting. Not only does he take away our sin, but he also counts us as righteous as Christ. So God just doesn't forgive me, but now, before God, I am as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ, because I am hidden in him. Five, the nature of faith is to receive Christ. The nature of faith is to receive Christ. Six, faith alone justifies by uniting us to Christ. Our faith is what unites us to Christ. In fact, there is a good definition of what what we mean when we talk about faith, Um, and it says this. Faith is merely an instrument, an empty hand. It is receiving what only God can give us. Faith is a conduit, a pipe, or a channel through which we receive the gospel. Faith is the electrical cord in your home. It is not the power, but rather the instrument through which electrical power travels. Similarly, faith is the instrument through which the great power of the Holy Spirit works. All the blessings of the gospel come into our hearts through the instrument of faith. Faith is the instrument through which we receive forgiveness, justification, and Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. There's seven. Justification is a declaration that we are righteous and a pardon of our sins which sets us free to obey God's law by faith. Justification is the declaration that we are righteous and a pardon for our sins, which frees us to obey the law of Christ. Remember once I was on a mission trip and I was preaching, and I was preaching the gospel. I was in uh, Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, had a a crowd of university students there. We had just kind of did a a debate with some non-believers about things of faith. And the spirit was working. I mean, it was one of those times where you you preach the gospel and you could just see people's hearts soft and people start to ask questions. And just as I was telling people how to be saved by faith alone uh, through Christ Jesus, 
one of the guys who went with us on, on a mission trip who was a part of another church literally stood up, cut me off, and said, that's not the whole story. You're not saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace through faith and baptism. If you don't get baptized, you cannot be saved. And so me and Brad, we had a little issue in front of everybody um, to which I had to talk and say, no, this is what the Bible says. And afterwards, we had about an hour-long discussion. I said, man, if I'm the one giving the gospel presentation, you let me present it the way that's true and that's biblical. <laughs> I'm joking. Partially. Um, but it's not faith and something. It's not faith and baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience. One of the first acts of obedience. Uh, it's, it's faith alone. This is a benefit this is outrageous. The one is not saved according to his good works, but the one is saved by faith alone. This is the message of the entire Bible. Sometimes we read the Old Testament, we think that somehow people in the Old Testament will save in a different way than the New. That's not what the New Testament tells us. Abraham was justified by faith and faith alone. That's what Paul is going to argue later in Romans chapter four. That's what Paul argues in Romans chapter six, that when faith when Abraham believed God, this message that was bigger than him, this message that, that he couldn't see how or, or even uh, mentally comprehend, but when he believed God at his word, it was his faith that justified him. His faith. This is the message throughout the Gospels. This is the message through, through, through Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, there's a centurion, a man who is well-respected, a servant of, him, of his dies. And some, some people from a local synagogue, they come up to Jesus and say, hey, listen, this is a mighty man. If anyone is worthy of a miracle, it is him. And then the centurion essentially gives Jesus a message and says, Jesus, you don't have to come to, to the house to heal my servant. I believe that if you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And do you know how Jesus responded? Jesus did not respond and say, I'm going to heal your servant because you're worthy. I'm going to heal your servant because everybody say that you are righteous and that you've done good works. No, Jesus said there is no greater faith than all of Israel, and he healed his servant. His faith is what justified him, not his works. This is the message throughout the book of Acts. Over and over, there's this theme of faith and belief. This is the message of the Pauline epistles. Um, Dr. Schreiner, in his book, Faith Alone, mentions that Faith is the central message. Faith in Christ is the central message of Paul's writings. The word faith occurs 142 times and the verb believe 54 times. So this is the message of the New Testament. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? That means that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, that we are declared righteous that God is not angry at us, that we are not sitting under his wrath, that there is no condemnation, that he loves you. That's the outcome of faith. When we hold on to this doctrine, when we hold on to this teaching, there's, there's really three outcomes, three powerful outcomes. The first is honesty. The first is honesty. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. What do I mean when I say honestly? When we believe that salvation is by faith alone, we don't have to pretend that we're more righteous than we are. We don't have to put up this, this holy front in front of people in order to protect our image. We don't have to build an image so that people can think that we're some great Christians. The doctrine of faith alone says that Jesus is the hero, that Jesus is the one who is righteous, that Jesus' blood is what makes us right before God, and that we stand no longer condemned, not only before God, but Romans tells us later in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul says, who can condemn you? If God is the one who justified you, who can, who can judge you? Who can condemn you? And that frees us from living under the condemnation of others, what other people think, how other people see us. And we're free to live before God as a result of the finished work of Jesus. But second, it's humility. Not only should we be an honest people as a result of this doctrine, but we should also be a a humble people. I was uh, in a barber shop talking to a guy recently who's not connected to Sojourn, and he knows I'm a pastor, so we're talking about things of, of faith. And he began to tell me about his story and how he uh, came to know God. And then he just went on and just lashed out against all his family members and friends who does not know God. And he began to talk about how he saved himself and how he came to this understanding of God and how they needed to be more like him. And the Lord gently reminded me to point him to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. I said, bro, do you understand what the Bible teaches about salvation? The Bible teaches that we don't contribute anything to our salvation, that we're saved by grace through faith. The very faith that you had to believe in God was actually given to you by God. The Spirit regenerated you, softened your heart, and allowed you to come to a place where you saw God or Jesus as Lord and Savior and need. It's not you coming to it by yourself. To which he was like, oh, okay. I said, that should make us humble, and that should make us grateful, and that should remind us that the very friends of yours who have not come to faith that their salvation is not depending upon you telling them and beating them into the faith, but it's rather it's you praying for them and praying that God will bring them to the right place in the faith to see Jesus as who he is. And the same is true for you. That unloved, that unsaved person that you hope to come to Jesus, they're not gonna to come to Jesus in their own strength and their own might. It's only gonna be through the spirit and through them seeing Jesus as their treasure by faith alone. That's what the Bible teaches. It's by faith alone. I pray that that would, would humble you. Just as when you were born, you contribute nothing to being born. When you're reborn, you contribute nothing to be born, being born again. God is the one who gives you the faith to believe. And finally, it should make us a helpful people. The doctrine of faith alone should make us a a helpful people, an honest people where we're able to shield ourselves in Christ and admit our flaws and our weakness. A, a humble people where we're not walking around proud and thinking that we're better than other people, but we understand that all of life is grace and all of life is faith, but it should also make us a helpful people. Paul writes, for we are God's good work created in Christ Jesus 
we are God's workmanship, excuse me, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So faith alone should lead us to a place of understanding that God has saved us and he has saved us and predestined us to do a work. He has saved us to do good works. Good works don't save us, but as Martin Luther said, salvation, uh, God does not need your good works, uh, but your, your neighbor does, right? God does not need your good works. You're not saved by your good works, but your neighbor does, and God has saved you to be a light and a testimony to your neighbor. Works is by faith alone, but true saving faith is never alone. So may this doctrine capture our hearts. May through this doctrine we see that we are perfectly loved in Christ Jesus, and it is by grace that we are saved through faith. May this doctrine also remind us that simultaneously, while we are justified, we are also sinners in need of Jesus Christ. And for the person who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, I pray that you would hold firm and hear these words, that what makes you right with God is not your good works or you getting yourself together. That is blasphemy. God does not need your good works. God does not need you to get yourself together. Salvation comes from you seeing that you are a sinner, that you have offended a holy and a righteous God, but he is so gracious that he wants to be made right with you through you placing your faith and trust in him. And that salvation only comes when you do that. You have nothing to offer him but your brokenness. That's what we celebrate every Sunday when we take this meal called communion together. We celebrate what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says that he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you return. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread. We dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And every week when we take communion and we touch this bread and we drink this wine, I pray that we remind ourselves that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that what makes us right before God and what allows us to live before people with confidence is not our good works, it's not our resume, it's not that we're a good parent, it's not that we're a good friend, it's not that we're a student, it's not that we're accomplished. What makes us right before God is that we realize that we are sinners in need of salvation and that Jesus has come to save. In just a second, we're gonna have some servant leaders come forward those of you who are at the front, you can come to the front to take communion. The back, you can go to the back to take communion. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.